before we jump into that, I just want to touch on what Elkin talked about last week. How good was that, by the way, for those of you guys who were here? Really proud of Elkin. It was so, so good. Um, he, his theme, or one of the themes, was the conform, conforming into the image of Christ. You guys know that scripture in Romans. Um, we, we are all aware of it being kind of a fundamental, lifelong pursuit. When the Bible says we're supposed to conform into the image of Christ, I think as we live, we become more and more aware of how far we have to go to be like him in all instances, whether it's his boldness that we're, we're trying to attain, his purity, his clarity, his just missional faithfulness to God. He was so wonderful in all his ways, but I just was really appreciative of Elkin highlighting just the journey he was on and we are all on. And the thing that was so, so profound to me was his sharing his own process where he kind of exhorts himself, he exhorts himself. So like he, he's a journaler and, and he found himself, and I know we've all done this, but I don't know that we're all as intentional about it, found himself reminding himself of who he is and what he's called to do and who he's called to be. And, and vocalizing that in a way where it's an affirmative, like you can, you, you are, and you will overcome. You can, you are, and you will be strong through. You can, you are, and you will um, be reminded that you are God's perfect creation to do the life you've been placed here to do. And, and I just wanted, I don't want to let that kind of fly by and that be a small sidelight for us. I'd like you guys to just take hold of that idea that it, it requires um, energy and intensity of focus to accomplish and be the person you individually are designed to be. It is not an easy life to be you. <laughs> you say, I'd like his life or her life. In truth, there is not one person's life that is just easy because all of us are trying to climb mountains that are unique to us. We're, we're, we've all inherited unique uh, handoffs from family, friends, life experiences. Some of those things are really powerful and really good, and we have a huge advantage because of, because of them. Others aren't so much. And, and the reality of who we are in this season of life and who we are right now in this moment, all factors require an endurance and a strength that doesn't just come because we want to be good. It's not just about having good intentions. It's about actually being disciplined towards the truth of who God has said we can be. But it takes reminding. And, and I wish we as a family were better at reminding one another. I wish we had a more, and I'm not being critical, I just think our culture in general, I think it's very foreign to us to come alongside people daily and say, you're doing a really good job really proud of who you are and I see who you are and what you're going through and what you're doing. Our culture, in, um, um, in my experience in California, doesn't do that. It's not ethnic, it's not, it's not privilege, it's just the culture of our region doesn't have people consistently coming around us saying, you are accomplishing something, you are doing something, I am proud of the effort you're making good work, keep going, see you tomorrow, we'll do it again, we'll check in tomorrow. It's almost perceived as weakness to need that type of feedback. But we, if we're honest, realize that that type of feedback gives us boosts forward, enables us to be stronger and do more. And 
you're not weak if you appreciate that feedback and you're not weak if you need it. You're actually normal. And I would just encourage you guys to realize, one, do I have a peer group around me that I have set up a culture with to where I'm inviting that feedback? I'm inviting them to speak into my life, to be aware of what's going on with me and actually appreciating and asking for it. And then on the flip side, I'm doing the same to them. And if you want encouragement, I'd encourage you, give encouragement. Get a culture in your own mind and heart to where you're constantly giving out and you'll find that people will be really different towards you if you're one that's constantly giving, lifting them up. And you'll find that pretty quickly they start doing it back to you. And if you want to take it to the next level, you just you articulate, hey, this is why I'm doing this, because I need it, you need it, we all need it. Um, and you can do that in a way that's not hyper-religious if you're in a, in a secular work environment, if you're in a place where you know these people need encouragement, just like I do, to, to show up every day and clock in, clock out. It's not easy to do what we do. Tell them, hey, we need each other. You don't have to say, Jesus sent me. <laughs> you just have to just go. And just remind yourself, hey, this is, this is actually a healthy process. This is what encouragement and community is supposed to be. And then when you get home, if you've had those days where you are not the one that was lifted up, I would remind you that it is, it is good to declare over yourself, exhort yourself, you are doing this. You are taking one more step each day. And you'll find that there's life that comes when you look yourself in the eye in the mirror. And I've done this, and I'd encourage all of you to do it. It's just, you, you have to realize you're, you have a lot that's for you, and you have a lot that's against you. You need to vocalize your encouragement. And so I thought Elkin did an awesome job with that last week, just telling us, hey, this is what I do. I remind myself, I'm pretty good. I'm working hard. God's got me. He's made me to accomplish all these things. And that's what we need. So thank you. Thank you to you for being transparent. And I would just say to you guys, it shouldn't, that should feel really good and normal. Not like that's a, that's a I, I hate to tell people I need encouragement, right? And maybe culturally that's not something you're, that's, you're used to, but I think I want it to be something we're used to. I think we'll be stronger because of it. Okay, so today I'm going to read the longest passage of scripture I've probably ever read in a sermon. And I, that's not how you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to get up here and give little one-line scriptures because people have short attention spans and they wander off. But today we're gonna read a whole chapter in Joshua and then I'm gonna talk about it. And so I, you gotta get comfortable. You gotta turn your brain on and turn off whatever's floating around in there that says I need to wander. I just want you to pay attention to this story and I want you to appreciate this story with me, and then we'll talk about it a little bit at the end. And I, I apologize in advance. This is a lot, but you ready? We okay? All right, Joshua chapter seven. So we're gonna go through it up here. Can you see that? This is, this is like the first, just the very first. We're going, we got a lot to do. You ready? Okay, here we go. I'm just gonna start reading, relax. All right, but the Israel, Israelites broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to 
Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the, man and the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and said to him, Not all the people need to go up. About two or three thousand men should go up and attack Ai. Since they are so few, do not make the whole people toil up there. So about 3,000 of the people went up there, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about 36 of them, chasing them from outside the gate, as far as Shebarim, and killing them on the slope. The hearts of the people melted and turned to water. All right, I'm going to give you a little context. So this is the second battle the Israelites fight after crossing over from Moses' death. So if you guys remember the story of Israel, they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And then finally, God says, with Moses and Joshua, we're going to go into the promised land. We are now going into the promise that we've been wandering, waiting for. This is the territory I'm giving you. And now we're going to go. So the first battle, you guys remember this, was the battle of Jericho. And they marched around. The walls fell down. It was a wonderful triumph. It was a, obviously like a supernatural triumph. They physically watched walls fall, and then they went in and won the victory. So it, if you could imagine having received a promise that you're going to take over this land and now God is behind you, it's going to be yours, and he does this crazy supernatural military thing where it was undeniable that God supernaturally affected physical circumstances so we could win this battle and take this ground. I think your confidence is way up here, that this is amazing. We've been waiting a whole generation, 40 years, for him to say, go, get the promise. Now we're going, and he's literally taking down military embattlements, making them fall over. Everyone's terrified, and we just basically get to walk into this city this is an amazing process. We're going to do this over and over and over again because God is with us. We've earned it. This is amazing. It took a long time in the wilderness, but I think we're ready now, and this is what he must have meant when he said we are going to conquer the land. We're going to do it with him, and it's going to be easy. So now... We're on to the next battle because they took over Jericho. They wiped it out. And when they did that, God said one thing. And we brought it up a couple weeks ago when we talked about money and tithing. He said, the first fruits of all that I'm giving you are mine. And one of the things he said to them before they went into Jericho was, you're going to take all this out, but you're not to take one thing. Because when we take this land... The very first thing we take is mine. It was a very, it's a symbol, it's a type. It was a shadow of what was to come and the way he wants us to live. But he told the people of Israel, yes, this is a big established territory. We're going to take it out. I'm going to endorse you. I'm going to fight with you. But don't take a dollar. Don't take any gold. Don't take any of their, their livestock. Don't take any of their people. We're going to wipe it out. And that's your sacrifice. That's your obedience to me. All right. So the battle goes well. They take it all down. Let's see how they did. Slide number two. All right, verse six. Then Joshua tore his clothes. So this is, guys, remember, they go out to battle with two or 3,000, 
and they get run off by this small group. And so Joshua's response is, tearing his clothes, and he falls to the ground on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dusts on their heads. So this was like their version of mourning, repentance. They don't know why, but they're obviously really disturbed. It feels like God is gone. Joshua said, Ah, Lord God, why have you brought this people, so that's us, across the Jordan at all, to hand us over to the Amorites so as to destroy us? Would that we have been content to settle beyond the Jordan. So that means never have crossed over, done the Battle of Jericho. Why would you send us over here if we're going to fail now? Oh, Lord, what can I say now? that Israel has turned their backs to their enemies. The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you, will you do for your great name? All right, next slide. Joshua's not happy. Can you read that? It's pretty small. <laughs> Here we go. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. All right, so the Lord responding to Joshua's frustration and anger, stand up. Why have you fallen upon your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I imposed on them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have acted deceitfully, and they have put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the Israelites are unable to stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become a thing devoted for destruction themselves. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Proceed to sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things among you. You guys got that phrase now, devoted things. He said it about 20 times. O Israel, you will be unable to stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall come forward tribe by tribe. Pay attention to this. This is crazy. Like, just, just imagine this instruction set. So in the morning, you will come forward tribe by tribe. There's, there's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. This is a very huge group of people. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come near by clans. The clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near one by one, and the one individual one who is taken as having devoted things shall be burned with fire together with all that he has for having transgressed the covenant of the Lord and for having done an outrageous thing in Israel. All right, we're going to keep going, but I just want you to get this, this picture. God just sent us to Jericho. We win the battle. He says, don't take anything. There's hundreds of thousands of us that have been following him in the desert and we just got his endorsement via angels taking down walls. We win. Then there's a small group up on a hill. And our scouts go in and they go, you only need a couple thousand. This is really small. We'll go up and take them out. It's not a big deal. We go up and they run us off. They kill us. And God says, it's because there was one person in your group that touched the thing I told you not to touch. And he talks, to, he talks to Joshua, and he's like, why are, you, why are you all broken up about this? It's really obvious what's going on. 
And this, to me, in our culture, in our moment, feels so unthinkable that when there's 100,000, let's just let's use round numbers, guys, and I apologize. I don't, I don't know my history that well. Let's, let's just assume it was 100,000 Israelites in total. More, could be more, could be less. If somebody knows, please volunteer. But whatever the number was, God was focused in on one person's deceit and deception, one person's disobedience, and it, he was willing to hold back his promise to all of Israel because one had violated the covenant that he had made before they went into battle. It's a very humbling, humbling idea. I think we always consider God and we say, it's amazing that he would know my name. The hair is on my head. The New Testament versions of this is like God's love for us is overwhelming. It's so amazing that he knows who we are and where we're at. It's also amazing that he would know each of us to the degree that he would affect a whole people group because of our willingness to be faithful to him. It's like the responsibility factor where he goes through and he says, okay, all of Israel line up in the morning. You're going to walk by the, the tent and I'm going to tell the leaders which tribe. So of the 100,000 of you, 10,000, I'm going to pick them out. Then I'm going to have that tribe break up into clans, which is probably like 1,000 member groups. And they're going to walk by. And within that group, we're going to pick out one. And then the next thing is going to be the families within those clans. And so he's starting to say, I, I not only know, I, I am intimately involved with the heart and motive of each individual within this family. And it's so imperative that we're all on the same page. It's a crazy thought about the bigness of God focusing in on a one small thing. All right, let's go to the next slide. Joshua 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, family by family, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household one by one, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to him, said to Achan, my son, give glory. And by the way, where is all of Israel right now? They're waiting and watching what's going on. 100,000 people waiting and watching this one individual being chosen out of all of them by God. And if I'm in that, that group, I'm going, I wonder if this is actually him. I wonder if he actually made a mistake. If, if it was him. Or is this, like Joshua is on the other side of this, and he's listening, and he's, God's highlighting your family, your tribe, and now he's highlighting you of all these people there's a lot of suspense here. This is a big moment. Then Joshua says to him, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. So this was an affirmative thing. He's just telling him right off the bat, you're guilty. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, it is true. I am the one who sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle 
made from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them, coveted them, I wanted them, and took them. They now lie hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Let's go to the next slide. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took them out of the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and they spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, with the silver, the mantle, and the bar of gold, with his sons and daughters, with his oxen, donkeys, and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord is bringing trouble on you today, and all of Israel stoned him to death. They burned them with fire, cast stones on them, and raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place to this day is called the Valley of Accor. Next slide. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and now go up to Ai. <laughs> all right. If you continue to read that story, they send not 3,000 like they did the first time, they send 30,000 men up, and they win the battle of Ai, and God lets them keep all the gold, all the livestock, take all the things of value, and they're now Israel's. This is a crazy story. This is a crazy story. How many of you are happy you don't live in the Old Testament days? <laughs> that, okay, amen. We can go home now. Like That was the main, main point. The Old Testament was intense. It was very intense. And it's interesting, when, when Jesus was asked, like, what about these laws? What about the Old Testament? Jesus said, I didn't take one thing away from the Old Testament by being here. It's not my intention to, to lower the bar of commitment to God. It's actually to raise the bar. And it's interesting for us because we don't live in a moment where God is like raining down fire, tearing down walls, calling out one individual, say I'm holding back a whole people group in a way that we can see it. We're not organized like the, the church of Israel, if you want to call it that, was organized in the Old Testament day where he had set apart for himself this one group of people and he says, guys, you're going to be mine but before you're mine in victory, you have to be mine completely submitted in heart. Like you, you in here, in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, need to be aligned with me in every way so that the world can see a people that moves with me in every way. But if you aren't aligned with me completely, I'm going to deal with it because I'm not willing for there to be compromise amongst us, because the world needs to see what it looks like for someone to be completely devoted to me, completely surrendered to me, and then the favor I put on them isn't because of their works, it's because of their devotion and obedience and yieldedness to me. 
So Jesus comes along and he says, guys, I'm, I'm bridging the gap between you and God, but the expectation of yieldedness that he's had for humanity from the beginning, the very beginning, when it was Adam and Eve, and there was this beautiful provision, and he said that there just needs to be agreement. There's certain things we do and don't do. The expectation was real and tangible and serious, and it required sacrifice of something in them that feels abstract when we read the stories. We, we read this story and we go, he grabbed a pile of silver? He, he wanted this, this, shrine, this like shrine thing that was devoted to like an old god? And he wanted a bar of gold? Just, put, just back up for a second. And you're, they're walking around kind of desert and they're going into these towns. There's not even really trade and, and commerce. They're killing everyone and taking over and setting up a new kind of economy and ecosystem, and they're, they're physically like establishing themselves in the land, what value does that silver and gold have? It's not as, not as valuable as we might think to where this guy was going to be set up for life and he was preserving, you know, generations of wealth. There was something broken in his mindset and his heart that was willing Though he knew he shouldn't reach out, he was willing to reach out and take for himself those things, even though God had said just this one thing, don't take one thing, just don't, just, we're going in, this is mine, it's devoted to me. Eve, Adam, same story. Same story. It's like, guys, we're, we're taking, this land is yours. Just don't reach out and take these things that are devoted to me. Do you think God wanted that silver and gold so bad? <laughs> he was just really eager for that silver and gold from the land of Ai to be his. He couldn't wait till someone would go retrieve it on his behalf. He was up there just... Finally, it's ours. No. Do you think that he was so zealous about that tree in the garden that when Eve took that piece of fruit, he was jealous and angry because she had stolen his lunch? It's not at all like that. There's this theme running through Scripture from the beginning to the very end that says, my people have to acknowledge how high of a God I am, how big of a God I am, and that whatever I say is worth yielding to because their acknowledgement of me as bigger than all that they can see here is paramount, more important, more significant than all that they could ever do for me, all that they could ever accomplish on earth I'm just interested in their acknowledgement of me and their yielding all that's in them to me. That's their act of devotion. It's in Adam and Eve. It's in almost every story in the Old Testament. It's what every prophet shows up on the scene and talks about when he talks to Israel. 
whether it's Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, they come to Israel and they say, you have embraced the ways of the land. You've embraced the things that you see and you've taken them to heart and those things now are taking residence in your heart and it's allowing you to distance yourself from God. It's allowing you actually to stop hearing from God and you're actually not even aware at this stage because you've coveted those things and taken those things of value into your heart. You're not even aware that you are actually defying God. And so they call, John the Baptist, they call for repentance. They say, turn, soften your hearts again, turn back to God because he has a way of living that you have forsaken. I think we read these stories and we go, God was crazy back then. He demanded way too much. And I think the opposite is true. I think that we don't realize that his demands today are just as much as they were then. I think we've, we've grown, and this is, and I want you to hear this, this is not like a, like an accusational conversation where I'm saying you are failing. I, I actually think that we need the, the like Jesus would say, like take the, the sheaves off their eyes. Let them see the truth. Un, unplug their ears so they could hear my voice. I don't think it's for, for desire to defy God that we would embrace the ways or thoughts or things of the world. I don't know that Achan, in his decision to take that silver, was premeditating saying, I can't stand him. I want to divorce myself from him. I am therefore going to defy him, and I'm going to possess these things knowing that it will separate me from the rest of the people who are in allegiance and alliance with him. I don't think it was premeditated in that way. I think he had just gotten done going to war, fighting, winning, and he was pulled. Pulled by the same gods that established these foreign people. Their devotion and ways were in concert with spirits that were defying God. And it's a certain level of deception that comes in, just like we see with Adam and Eve, where Eve is deceived not because the fruit was so good, but there was some underlying surrounding spirit that said, you should turn in defiance of him, but I'm going to focus your attention on these things, almost to the point where you forget that he's even part of this choice. And you say, well, how did they make that mistake? How is that possible? Were they that dull? They had just gone to, Achan had just gone to war, and then it's like a month or two later, I don't, there's no timeline that I'm aware of. It's, it's just, it's logical, same group next, next day, next season. And he suddenly pulled into a decision that if he were honest, he would never have wished on his worst enemy. And here's my comment. In New Testament times, in this moment, all of us are subject to the same pulls and desires as Achan, as Eve, as the Israelites that John the Baptist was speaking to, the Jews of that day. 
all the, all the Israelites that, that Elijah, Ezekiel called to repentance. We're in the same kind of war zone, same kind of battle. And, and we, we can be so consumed and so busy with the beautiful riches of life or the diverse challenges of life that we can forget at times that God is zealously after our absolute devotion. He really is. He, he, in his wisdom, is watching not just your family, not just the ethnic group your family came from, not just the region that you live in. He's actually watching down to you, and he's watching to see, will your heart conform in all ways or will you reach out for these things that he's actually asked you not to engage with? And so I have to remind you here, the things that are appealing that we want to reach out to aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with silver. There was no core flaw with gold. That thing that was shaped, shaped for the God thing, yeah, that's kind of obvious. That one's kind of obvious. But the other two, those are just vehicles of commerce, just money. That's not bad. God is not against money. But there was something in this man at this moment that wanted to reach out and grab this thing. And the larger story for you and me is what has God put his finger on in your life and said, I would just like you to abstain from that thing. And I'll tell you, if that thing that he's pointing to is what I think it is, it's just like the fruit in the garden. It's just like the silver he put under his tent. It's just like any of those things that might be of value and potentially of good to us in our moment. But maybe God has said, I want you to trust and obey Align, myself, align yourself with my absolute direction, no matter how logical it feels to do the opposite thing. I think that when God comes to us, he comes to us in these beautiful ways. Jesus did this thing where he was walking around and there's these men doing their jobs and he says, you, follow me. Leave everything you have and follow me. That is not a rational request. That doesn't make any sense. You, when you get off work and you've provided for your family and things are secure, I'll meet you afterwards. Now he says, lay down your nets and walk with me. He actually asked the disciples in many instances to surrender all that their life work had been towards in order to accompany him for a season. No promise of ever returning to those things. No promise necessarily even of provision. He just said, lay it down and trust me. What a radical line Jesus drew for each of his devoted disciples to cross over. And so I wanna ask you this question. Are you inviting the Holy Spirit to stir your heart consistently against those things that God would want to remove or challenge in your life?
Or are you numb and hard and calloused because you've just continued to live and fight? You say, Vince, I, I'm not a bad person. I am really kind, generous. I do a lot more good than I do bad. I could introduce you to some people that aren't good. I'm not one of those people. And I just want to tell you, this has nothing to do with that. This has to do with a normal life process where we could be walking arm in arm with the Lord, having surrendered certain things in season. And many of you have been asked, surrender this relationship, surrender this career, surrender your finances, surrender in different seasons in different ways. And I, I can almost guarantee you one to one in this room, each of you has done that at different times. And so in those seasons, you have, you have embraced the arm of the Lord, Jesus, and you've said, I want to walk with you, and I will die to my desire for those things if it means I get to walk with you. And so you begin to go. But the nature of God is that he wants us to continue, like Elkin talked about, to conform to the nature of Christ. He wants us to be able to be sent into a battle zone, fight a death-defying battle, win, and then receive nothing in return and be okay in our hearts because we know that it's not about the reward, it's about the agreement and walking with him. You say, well, I, I've been a wonderful person. I am so, so nice. You should have seen me before. I was not nice. But I, I've been conformed into his image and I do actually obey and I yield and I ask him, and we've been walking for a long time, but there's been a barrage of things that we've been faced with to the point where I don't even ask him to advance me in, in my alignment with him anymore. I don't request like conformity. I actually go, I hope he doesn't ask me to take more things away. I hope he doesn't strip me further. I, I hope it's just about building up in favor now because I don't actually like the pro part of the process where I'm, I'm challenged to yield. And as we've walked, these barrages of different things have come, and we get to the point where we don't realize it, but we're actually not looking at Jesus anymore. See, the thing that allows me to say yes when he says no, so this is my life, this is my area of excitement, influence, etc. Jesus comes, he, never, he very rarely says walk away from it all. But what he does say is just turn to me and I'll tell you the things that I'm concerned with. Otherwise, just keep living. And so there might be over here on this far edge something that says just, just avoid that. This stuff is good. But as we do that, we turn and we're engaged. We're looking at him and it's almost as if all of this is of less value and intensity. And we're, we're captivated by Jesus himself. We turn and it's anything you want. I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. I wanna be excited about the things you're excited about. I want the life and generations to be what you have designed. What would you have me do? Where should I go? Who should I spend time with? And we do it and we're, we're walking and we're arm in arm and then there's other opportunities presented to us. And it's this natural cycle where we fight fights. We, we engage with life really as it is, good and challenging. 
And we're asked continually, we're tested continually, will you turn back to me again? Or will those things become so meaningful to you, good or bad, that you forget that it's, it's really about you and I being right here and I'm looking into your eyes? That, that my friends, is, is not just for the day one salvation turning and repentant heart. I'm curious about a group of people who could devote themselves to continual renewal, continual devotion, continual request to say, God, what could you do with this life? Not just thank you for saving me, now I'll go back to my things. I'll, I'll reach for all the good things that are here in the promised land. I actually wanna be part of a group that does something greater than occupy territory. I wanna be with you walking wherever you might send me. But I'll tell you, that is a huge human effort where you begin to surrender a heart over and over and you're willing to go anywhere he sends you to go without demands of repayment. It's that anything that you want, God, it's yours. And so I, I wanted to think about two things today. One, what a wild God he was. What a crazy expectation he put on his people in that season as they were taking this new ground. But also to consider what a wild God he probably still is and that he realizes in all the universe if one individual could turn and get a glimpse of how great and mighty, powerful and wonderful he is, that there would never be a justification again for reaching and grabbing for things that are of this world. And so those things that are in you, challenging you, maybe they're the Eve-like things where it's fruit and I need nourishment and it's certain community, maybe it's the Achan-like things where I need money and wealth and security and stability, and those things are loud enough in you to where they, they, you feel like you're torn in being devoted to his face and his direction by the desire that's in you for those things. Even though you know he's capable of meeting those needs, I wanna ask you this question, is it a spiritual or natural battle you're fighting? Is it a natural thing where you're saying, I just need to stay connected to these issues or these topics or these people because they're my stability, security, they're what I need. Or is it a spiritual thing that's pulling you, deceiving you into thinking these relationships, this, this logic, this way of doing life is actually greater? You see, I just, I'll tell you this, if God ever asks you for sacrifice, he's testing your heart. He needs nothing, but he's challenging something in you. And if you're like me, sometimes it will take years to actually surrender certain categories of living, certain ways of doing life, certain friends, certain family members, certain people and situations have so much sway and authority over us because we give, that, give it to them out of a place of need and security. But I'll tell you, when you turn and you actually see God, when you see him, not with those things next to him, but you just see Jesus, you're quickly re you, you quickly realize, oh, I, I don't need any of these things. 
What a privilege it would be if he were to ask me to surrender everything. And for some of us, it's like dreams of what I will become. He'll ask you to surrender those and look at him. You say, well, he put those dreams in my heart. He made me a certain way. Yes, but like Israel, you have to surrender completely before you can get into the promised land. It was his idea from the beginning to give them a promised land. If, if their intention was for the promised land and not for allegiance to him, he's going to expose it. He can give the promise over your life, but you have to surrender how you'll get there and what it looks like. You just have to realize it's like he has good things. I have to be so captivated by him but that even those good things he promises don't have more sway over me than him. That's the, that is the perennial requirement. He will not change the rules for you. He will not give you a vision for great things in your life and say, you can do it your way. There's so much in our culture that says, be excellent. Um, there's so much in Christian culture that says, if you live a disciplined life, you will achieve the favor of God. Like, they don't say it quite like that, but it's like, you're gonna get financial advancement, you're gonna get physical health, you're gonna get all these things if you live a balance, if you're, if you're healthy in all of your practices. I'll just tell you that the, the walking with Jesus will defy those rules because the, the way of living a practical, natural path towards outcomes is not of interest to him in the long run. He wants you to live a healthy life. He wants you to be balanced and good, but he also wants you to be radically devoted to anything he says. He doesn't care if you go through physical hardships because he can resolve them. If it allows your heart and DNA, the core of who you spiritually are to change so that you could give that victory and change to someone else, maybe even change your family line forever. He's not afraid of disease. He's not afraid of uh, financial challenge. He's not even afraid of physical violence. You say, well, he would never allow these things. Well, guys, the world, it happens. And God watches, and he doesn't send pain and violence to us. He doesn't send evil to us, but he's not afraid of it. He wants us to be willing to say, God, every need I have bows to you as king, and I yield my heart, opinions, intensity of, of emotion. I, I, I yield it to you. I don't focus on earth. I focus on you. And then a victory can be won. And I just, I want you guys to be encouraged today. This is, it, it sound, it's, in, it's a little intense, but if you don't, if you're not willing to do a little intense, you're skipping like three quarters of the Bible. Like the, like, like the majority of the Bible is very hard stories. And it's really fun to focus on like the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I, I actually need to read the whole thing before, the whole thing after, and realize if I'm having that conversation, it's because hard things come my way, and I need his strength to get through them. And you say, well, why would God do it? It's because he's working things out, and we're gaining ground, and we're taking victory, and we're, it's, it's a war. It's a war, and you're at war. And it's not to, like, make it a crazy, like, overly dramatic thing, the reality is, is you, you are in this battle of conformity into the image of Christ. You are actually supposed to be his representative. You're him in the flesh here on earth, changing the earth around you. But to do that, you have to be like Israel. It's like, I'll give up everything. 
I'll give up everything. I'm predisposed today to so many things that, that if you were here, Jesus, I know you wouldn't do. I just know that. I'm honest. I know that. If it's me and you, and we're, we're presented with, with options and opportunities and thought processes, I would jump at things and I'd look and go, oh, you didn't, whoops, you didn't take that one. That, you didn't think that way or you wouldn't do that. And I know that about me, and so I'm, I'm willing to say, God, whatever it takes from this day forward, soften my heart to change into your image. And I will not, in, if it's in my power, I will not take hold of anything and say, this is of value to me, even though you say it's not of value to you. It's a, it's a message, if you wanted to put a word on it, you could say holiness is part of it. You could say there's discipline in living. But there's also this thing of, the finance thing is really beautiful in there because he reached out for silver. Like what a silly thing to reach out for. But there's something about these things that, that captivate our heart and pull on us and they take precedent. It doesn't mean that you devote yourself to finances in lieu of God. It just means there's something that is capable of pulling you into a place of not hearing him because the desire towards stability or security in those areas is so strong. He wants you to break that once and for all. He wants you to be clear in hearing, clear in sight. He wants you to be able to respond if he says, hey, I know we've spent 20 years doing this certain thing. You're so qualified, you're so good, you've been so diligent. I actually now wanna send you over here to do this other thing. Will you go? I need to send someone, you're my first choice. And you're willing in your heart to say, I surrender all that I built in terms of expectation and promise. Even though you were in it, I realize that you can change. And if you change and turn your interest in my life to something, I wanna be the first one that says, yes, send me. Yes, I'll go. I wonder what the DNA and the conformity level of the individuals who surrender their life to missions work and are martyred is like. I wonder if we could have spent time with Stephen years into his following God before he's martyred. Like who was this man that was able to preach the gospel unto the point where he's the first martyr? In the kingdom. I wonder about the ones today who are going into mission fields and going to places where they know they're not going to be received well, but they are going because they're so consumed by what God has told them to do that they're willing to yield all of the natural things. And I wonder even for the ones that are designed to live in Berkeley, California, and they're designed to reach out in faith and hope and pray for healing provide financially, support the poor and the broken here in this city with a great amount of confidence and clarity, I wonder what their hearts are like. Because there's something different about the person who is sent, protected, and called by God from the one who actually goes and then is empowered to change those places. See, I believe all of us are working towards a life where we're trying to be fully yielded and fully sent with power. But there's something that's going on in each of us where he's, he's testing and challenging, saying, I want you completely conformed. I don't want any aching in you. 
I want that to be completely foreign to you, that you wouldn't even consider reaching out and touching the things that I would say no to, even if they feel arbitrary, even if they feel silly, because at other seasons you said, I'm gonna give you a bunch of silver and gold. It's not up to me, it's up to you, your king, and I'm your servant. I wanna be the one that's able to be sent with great confidence by the king, knowing that I'll be backed, and it won't just be Jericho, it'll be AI, and then it'll be all the other 50 places we're supposed to conquer, and at no point in that journey am I compromised by those spirits or things that are prevalent in those places I've been sent to go. Guys, you can have absolute confidence. This is not to instill fear. You can have confidence that if God is, is challenging you, he's convicting you, he's asking for things of you, you can have confidence that he'll continue that work until you conquer that thing. Don't fear failure in responding to him. Thankfully, new covenant of grace not often are we lining ourselves up saying, who did it? Let's stone him and take him out. He, he's, he's not quick to judge. He's full of mercy. And that's what Jesus did, is he allowed us to be in a place where even when we fail, he has covered that. And so it gives us opportunity after opportunity to come back to God and say, God, okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again. I took the silver last time. I took the gold last time. I, I engaged with this thought process. I fought your will. I fought with your intentions. I found myself captivated for a season or a moment by thoughts and feelings that were obviously not yours. But I wanna come back now. And Jesus covers that season of, of rejection, that season of disobedience. He washes it all away. Okay. All right, so last thing, I want you to think about Joshua. I want you to think about your relationship with Joshua. You are called to take out the Canaan land. You have the promise of God. You're, you're doing and going, and you're faced with extreme disappointment, even though you did nothing wrong. Are you like Joshua, and you say, God, what are you doing? Why did we even come here? It's a natural human response. It's a normal question and answer. God, I'm doing everything I know to do and still I see us failing or I don't see the promise coming true. God comes along and he says, why are you down? Get up, I'm gonna talk to you now. And I just wanna encourage each of you guys, don't look at the circumstances, look at God. Don't look at your season or the duration of your season. Look at God. He's standing over you, watching you, ultimately testing your heart, saying, why are you down when I've been so obviously good? I'm here. We just took out Jericho. Do you think that's the end of the story? Have you forgotten the longer promise? Don't be discouraged because you're confused about the moment you're in. That confusion that Joshua faced is a normal confusion that all of us face when things don't happen to schedule or don't happen in the way that we expect them to. Sometimes it's sin and we need to clean up sin. Other times we're, we're doing fine. It's something else that has to get worked through in the company of people we're with. You say, well, that's my husband. I knew it. <laughs> that's, my, that's my, I wouldn't say that's my wife. She's in the room. You, you, you're gonna blame, you don't need to find out why. 
God didn't, you know, God told him, hey, it's sin in the camp. We're going to, but he didn't just say, hey, you've got a problem. He said, I'm going to fix it. Take these steps. We're going to fix it together because my promise is still here. This is just a roadblock. It's just a moment. And sometimes our moments may feel like they're decades. Sometimes they may feel like they're whole generations. But don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Find him. Find God. Find God when you're in a season of confusion or challenge. Find him. Keep looking. Pursue until the confusion leaves. Worship, praise. Remind him of how good he's been. Remind yourself of how good he's been. Remind everything that lives and breathes around you that he won't stop until his promises are fulfilled in my life. And then you'll be off the ground and he won't have to command you off the ground. You'll be standing ready to go when he says it's time to go. And he'll come up and he'll say, good job. You're right where I needed you to be. We're not wasting any time, are we? Let's walk. And so that's what I want for you guys. Got some beautiful callings in this room, beautiful endeavors towards obedience in this room. Take it to heart. Encourage yourself. Find yourself in a battle like Achan, in a battle like Eve, in a battle like every person of faith before you is that there's no circumstance that will cause me to fixate on it over God. I will turn to him with my eyes and heart daily and I'll focus on him and I'll celebrate him and that will give me courage to continue to walk in spite of all these things that are pulling me to be distracted. All right. I didn't have any jokes. I read you like 20 minutes of scripture. This is probably the worst sermon structure ever. I just want you guys to know like this, this life we're living, it can be hard and you, you need to win your fight. You need to win your fight. And I'm really encouraged because I feel like you guys can handle it. Like you can take this stuff. You can take the dense scripture. You can take the serious conversation. You're so devout and, and sincere. I've watched all of you guys. And so I'm just thankful for you today. I'm thankful for the promise in your life. I want to pray blessing over you. Sometimes, sometimes, remember, we got an uphill climb, right, to get to that promise, to get breakthrough in those areas we're fighting for. Sometimes we need to remind each other, hey, you can do it. I agree with you. That is God's desire for your life. Let's pray together to break those things off. And so that's where it's really powerful. If you think of the Aiken story from a different lens, you go, there was 100,000, well, there was 99,999 people going, man, we did the right thing. Like we are an army that's moving forward and God is with us. And so just count yourself blessed today. Engage with people that will agree with you in his purpose for your life. Encourage one another. If you need prayer this morning, get it. Don't hesitate. There's be, there'll be people up here that just want to encourage you, just want to bless you, want to remind you that you're capable. And sometimes it's like, hey, I got silver in my tent. I'm up here because I need prayer. I got silver in my tent. I know it. I need help to let it go and move forward. And that sometimes just takes a little bit of confession and prayer, and that'll, that'll do it too. So let me pray for you guys, and then I'll encourage you guys. Come up and pray or be blessed and have a great week. Father, I just thank you so much for this awesome group of people. I thank you for your high calling on each one. I thank you that you desire great victory in their life, that you believe in them to conquer the desires of the flesh, the desires of this age, 
the distractions of life, that they would turn to see your face as God, the God of creation, the God of all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, and that they would begin to know you in greater measure and they would pass the test of this season, that they would find themselves strengthened, connected more to heaven than to earth, agreeing with you that their flesh would die and their spirit would rise up. I pray, God, today that you would highlight those things for those who are desiring advancement in your kingdom. I pray that you would spark their hearts with conviction and challenge, that you would begin to take away so that you can add. Take away so that you can add. And so I would just ask all of you, make that your prayer. Lord, if there's things that you can take from me so that you can add things in your kingdom, I would encourage you to pray that prayer. So Father, bless each one. Talk to each one. Thank you for making them overcomers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, love you guys. Let's all stand up. Give somebody a hug. If you want to get prayer, come on up. We would be happy to do that. God bless you.